You are listening to the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund podcast. This podcast is part of the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund's ongoing education program. This month's episode, our guest is Matthew Rosenberg. Mr. Rosenberg is the writer of such comics as 12 Reasons to Die, Four Kids Walk into a Bank, You Can Never Go Home, Kingpin, Rocket Raccoon, and he's also the co-author of a couple of books at Archie. We spoke on a wide range of topics, and I really appreciate uh, Matthew taking the time to sit down with me and, and record this interview. He's one of the more thoughtful writers working in comics at the moment. And as you'll hear in this interview, he takes a very intellectually curious approach to a lot of topics while it's really easy to have a very binary view in, in times like these. And I appreciate that, and I appreciate the, the time he took with us. That being said, here is Matthew Rosenberg. I heard an angel say, wake up, wake up, your wonderful dreams come true. Uh, my name is Matthew Rosenberg. I'm a comic book writer from New York City. I write uh, the books We Can Never Go Home and Four Kids Walk No Bank at Black Mass Studios and Rocket Raccoon and Kingpin and Secret Warriors for Marvel. And I co-write the Archie, some Archie books, the Archies and Archie meets the Ramones for Archie. Cool. Um, let's talk a little bit about Black Mask. Where, what's the, what's the genesis of Black Mask? Where did, uh, where did that begin? Um, Black Mask, uh, they're a, a new, I always say they're a new publisher, but now I sort of have to say there's so many new publishers. I feel like I have to say they're a new ish publisher. And the company was started by uh, three individuals who are uh, Steve Niles, uh, one of the all-time great horror comic writers, 30 Days a Night, and Cal McDonald and stuff like that. Um, Brett Gerwitz, who uh, owns Epitaph Records and plays guitar in Bad Religion and is sort of a, not sort of, he is definitely a punk icon and luminary. Yeah, I think icon is a good word for it. Uh, Icon's a good word, yeah. yeah. And uh, Matt Pizzolo, who is, um, he's sort of the the day-to-day head of the company. And um, he's sort of, he has a film background, but also a comics background. He's sort of a jack-of-all-trades kind of behind-the-scenes guy for a long time. And now Black Mask has sort of pushed him more to the forefront than I think I think more to the forefront than he wants to be, but uh, that's where he is. So it's um, the origin is is there. Uh, they got together basically because Matt and some other people were putting together the Occupy Comics anthology, which was a fundraiser for um, the Occupy movement, and it was sort of different people's thoughts and takes and feelings about or things inspired by the Occupy movement when that was going on and in full swing. Uh, and there was a lot of really great people involved, Alan Moore and David Mack and uh, too many to name, but uh, there's a trade paperback of the collected stuff um, and it's very cool and the money still goes to uh, good causes. Um, but that's how I got on their radar and they got on my radar because Matt was putting together um, – that Kickstarter and I was in New York and around the Occupy movement and going down to the camps and going to protests and um, had a lot of people who worked on the sort of legal defense side of Occupy and uh, I'm, you know, was an aspiring comic creator and I was very annoying to them and, and they had me come in and do a short story 
for the anthology and they were shopping the anthology around and couldn't find anyone who was giving them any publishers who were giving them the offer they wanted. So they decided to start a company themselves. And that's really, there's not a more grandiose origin story than that. It's just that they weren't getting the offers they wanted to do the book they wanted. So they did it. Your involvement. I mean, it seems like you've been with them almost from the ground floor. Is that just my perception or is that? No, uh, that is, that is very true. Um, like I said, I, I, I annoyed them to get in the anthology, which was actually going to be the first release. But while they were putting that together, I was on a book. Um, I was putting together a book called 12 Reasons to Die with Riza and Ghostface Killer from the Wu-Tang Clan that didn't have a home. And so while I was getting to know them through working on this anthology, I brought that book to them. And said, you know, I think this would be a good home for it. Like, you guys have a music history. You understand doing sort of uh, thinking outside the box in terms of marketing and, and comics audience. And, and that's sort of what we're looking for. And so I brought them to that, brought that to them. And uh, through delays and shipping errors and stuff, uh, 12 Reasons to Die, actually, the first issue of 12 Reasons to Die was the first it wasn't supposed to be, but it was the first Black Mass book to hit shelves. It hit a week before Occupy Comics number one. So I am actually the first published um, Black Mass book, um, and I'm in the anthology. And then since then, I've done uh, a short story in the back of Liberator, which is another series they put out. And um, my other books, We Can Never Go Home and Four Kids Walking to a Bank, are there. And I have a few upcoming books there as well. So, yeah, I mean, I am there at day one, for sure. Let's talk a little bit about Four Kids Walk Into a Bank. I, I love that book. and Thank you. It has a, tonally, it feels like nothing else that I think is out right now. It has a deliberateness to the to the pacing that um, I, I really appreciate. It's It feels like I'm being guided into this world in a way that a lot not a lot of books, as a reader, I get that feeling. I'm, I'm guessing that this is intentional, but do you want to talk about maybe like where you're coming from with the book? And Yeah. Uh, well, I sort of have to go back a little bit because I did uh, at Black Mask uh, myself and my friends Josh Hood and Patrick Kinlan and a crew of other people, Amanda Skirty and Tyler Boss and Dylan Todd and uh, Jim Campbell. We did a book called We Can Never Go Home. Um, that was sort of for a lot of people the book that got them to know his black mask. It was, uh, a surprise hit, I guess you'd say it didn't, you know, it wasn't changing the world, but it, it, uh, it sold well and got a lot of attention on the company, which was much needed for both me and the company. Well, we and, should, I mean, we should mention real quick that Dylan Todd and Jim Campbell and some of the other folks you mentioned, these are all like working professionals that have a lot of credits at this point under their belts. These aren't. Oh yeah. New, yeah. Newcomers they're you know, yeah, Eisner yeah. award winners in some cases. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, I was definitely the, uh, the new kid on the block sort of trying to tell everyone how to do their jobs when they were like, yeah, we got it. Um, <laughs> but there's it's, a, it's a pedigree there. There's a pedigree there. And actually, uh, what's interesting is that Josh hood who drew, we can never go home. Um, who's amazing. And I, I love dearly. Uh, I found him because I asked another, uh, right around Twitter, I was looking for an artist and he said, Oh, I just saw this guy post a wonder woman drawing and it was cool. And I looked at it and I looked through his portfolio and I reached out to him and he was 
amenable and we started doing the book. And I thought he'd never done anything before when we started. And I said, oh man, your stuff is so great and you're a great storyteller. Like, uh, I'm so lucky to like be on the ground floor. And, and he said to me, he's like, oh, well, you know, I drew uh, a bunch of Justice League of America and I, I drew some Venom. And, uh, and he'd been a Marvel and DC working artist in the 90s. And then he just stepped away from comics for a while. So I thought we were sort of holding hands in this together of like, we're doing our first book. And that wasn't the case at all. He was, it was all old hat to him. But um, yeah, so, so We Can Never Go Home did well enough that Black Mask uh, felt comfortable with giving me a little more leeway. I wasn't a first time creator. Now I was a second time creator. And um, I came back, me and Tyler Boss had the pitch on four kids walking to a bank and we'd shown it to some other people and there was other interests, but um, we're very loyal to Black Mask. I'm very loyal to Black Mask and uh, they treated me really great on We Can Never Go Home. And I showed it to them and they were really enthusiastic um but one of the things i said is like this is not we're going for something a little different and and when you talk about it sort of guiding you into the world uh a lot of that was me in some ways and tyler saying to that saying to black mask like look we can't do some of the stuff we want to do in 20 pages and like i know that it seems like we should be able to but we want to spend a page setting up a weird joke that doesn't go anywhere. We want to, you know, spend pages with these kids getting to know them, uh, that aren't necessarily plot driven. So much of comics is about, uh, brevity and about, you know, cutting out the, the dead weight. And, and I think a lot of the dead weight when you examine it, isn't as much dead weight as people think it is. And, uh, I mean, we really wanted to make the book character driven. And so we try and spend a lot of time getting to know these characters and into their world. Uh, and sometimes it's weird and sometimes it, it uh, doesn't make sense necessarily to us when we put it on paper. The, uh, and then we rework it and rework it to make it work. But yeah, I mean, I think when you talk about the pacing a lot and, and the way we uh, immerse people in the story or try to, yeah, a lot of that is because Black Mask is very hands-off with us and trust us. We couldn't do this book at a lot of publishers because we'd have to be bringing it in for 20, in 20 pages. We'd have to be, you know, justifying a lot of choices where um, we don't justify anything to each other except to each other. Like me and Tyler, he draws things and I write jokes, and if they don't make us laugh, we cut them. But if they do, even if they don't really necessarily move anything, we'll keep them. So I think you end up with sort of a unique feel, hopefully, from that. Well, it's it's also interesting because it's way more of a traditional crime noir than you might think um, because of that character-driven aspect of it and because mm-hmm. of the way it's it's paced and because of the way things unroll. Um, it, it really has a lot more in common with with like a Raymond Chandler type story mm-hmm. than you might think at first. Is, is that part of your inspiration or is that... <clears throat> me projecting no no i mean definitely uh one of the things we decided early on was um i i always get very annoyed with with the people who act like they create art in a vacuum and and won't you know (laughs) own up to their influences and the people they steal from and uh tyler and i wanted to go the other way and lean into it and say like you know these are 
these are the things we love and and we we wear it on our sleeves as much as possible whether it's like you know Raymond Chandler or Elmore Leonard or anything like that to you know Wes Anderson and and Whit Stillman or you know Brubaker and Bendis like we really wanted to throw some of everything we loved into the book and and be honest about it and say like this is us like we are the culmination of our influences and this book is the culmination of those influences as well so yeah i mean i think you know it's funny because people come up to me with all these different things that are like oh this reminds me so much of tarantino or this reminds me so much of you know john hughes or this reminds me so much of you know stephen king whatever it is like uh, it, it's not unintentional. I think a lot of times people steer away from that when they're, when they're making art or try and obscure it. And, and we're not trying to do that. We're trying to say like, this is a, it's, it's pastiche. It's a love letter to everything we love. So, um, yeah, that, that crime noir element is definitely <laughs> intentional and we definitely lean into it. Um, but it's also it's also funny because it's a it's a when when we started pitching the book it, it wasn't called Four Kids Walking to a Bank and uh, it had a different title and we never loved the title and I as a joke said to Tyler should we call it Four Kids Walking to a Bank and it made him laugh and so we did without any thought that uh, that really paints us into a corner because we basically say the premise of the book on the front cover of the book and in doing so everything else sort of has to work it makes us work harder just because uh the novelty i think you know at first we thought we could coast on the novelty of being like well what's this book about oh it's about kids who rob a bank you'll get there and it's like well now everyone who goes into the book knows that on page one so that novelty has no value whatsoever so we need the crime elements to work and we need the comedy elements to work a lot harder just because our gimmick isn't really a gimmick anymore i i want to talk just a little bit about your you have never shied away from politics or being open about your political beliefs um and it's interesting that it starts with that. Your first uh, work is in Occupy Comics. Yeah, I mean, I I, I grew up in in New York City, uh, raised by two leftist screenwriters, and uh, you know, uh, was sort of a, a an activist kid, and in the punk and hardcore scene, where like you know, you wear your politics on your sleeve, and and it's a source of pride, and there's no um, you know, and, and, and you do things, you, you, you try and be involved even on a, on a, on a micro level, on a local level. And, um, that's very much who, who I am and a part of who I am. And when I got into comics, um, it was sort of surprising in, in more mainstream comics, at least how little of that there was, how much of an aversion there was to, to personal politics. And I, and I understand now that like having your politics out there, we're in a very polarizing time and, and people, um, people get mad at each other for their politics. And I get that. And, you know, I, I, it's easy to see why, but I'm also, you know, I, I, I fully believe like I'm open to discuss anything. I'm, I'm happy to have a, a, 
a well-reasoned, well-tempered debate with anyone on their beliefs. Like I, I, I believe what I believe and, and I stand behind it and uh, it's important to me. And so I don't mind hearing things that I don't agree with. Um, obviously, I'm coming from a place of a little more, you know, full disclosure, like I'm a straight white male. So I, I'm coming from a place of privilege in that. But, I, I, you know, I personally uh, am happy to, to have the conversation. I, I think this country and a lot of people in this country, uh, a lot of bad things can brew under the surface um, because they're not talked about, because it's not polite to talk about sexuality or religion or class status or economic status or, or politics or, or any of these things. Um, and I think, I think just being honest and open and, and willing to hear people's complaints and willing to hear people's grievances with me. Um, I, I'm always happy for that. Like I, you know, I, I don't always overtly put my politics into my work, but like it is a part of me in the same way that, it's a part of all artists and it will seep in here and there, but I'm also, you know, I trust the people who read my books are smart enough to, if I put an idea out there that they don't agree with, that they can say, I don't agree with that and either step away from the book and not buy it or, you know, take it in, mull it around and, and walk away from it. I think that's really, uh, an important thing for the most part. Um, have you gotten any pushback from being vocally political? Uh, yeah, I don't think it's, I, I'm not overtly, you know, uh, political in most of my stuff, but there, there are political themes and sort of, uh, that go without. And yeah, I get a lot of pushback. Uh, sure. And, and that's to be expected, but 75% of it is very, you know, reasoned and smart. I do a lot of, I mean, at the end of, we can never go home. I wrote an essay about gun control and, and how I think that, uh, you know, the gun laws in this country are completely out of hand and, and how gun violence is, is an epidemic that we don't address well enough. And, and like that conversation has been hijacked by, you know, people who profit off of the conversation. Um, and, uh, yeah, it made a lot of people mad. Sure. Um, but it's a conversation that I think is worth having. And I also like to think that, a lot of those people who got mad read the book and still enjoyed the book and said, well, I don't agree with this sentiment. Like they're, you know, I'm a leftist, liberal, whatever you want to call it, um, way left of center person. But there are books written by very right wing writers, comics that, that I love, that I put the politics, you know, I take them in and I put them aside. So I, I hope my readers can do that uh, if they can't, you know fuck them. I don't, I don't really care. I'm not making work for them. Um, I, I would say, I mean, I think you have started the conversation and if they are unwilling to, uh, to address the conversation at the, uh, civil level you have begun it at, I don't, I don't think you're preaching at anybody, but you've, you know, for, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's in, we can never go home. It's like, you can read the book and skip the essay and take whatever you want from the book. That's fine. That's, that's sort of the point of why it's art and not an essay, but the essay is, uh, you know, an addendum to the book to, to clarify some of my thoughts. And, you know, I go to a bunch of comic cons every year. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Like if you have a problem, come talk to me, come find me. I'm happy to have, and I do all the time. I mean, like, you know, I, uh, we were just in Seattle for Emerald city comic con and we did a variant for four kids walking to a bank and gave, 
uh, all the money from the variant uh, to the Northwest Immigrants Rights Project. Um, I had three different people come up and, and talk to me about their problems with immigration. And, you know, that that's cool. I didn't agree with them. I don't think I changed their minds at the end of the day, but we had a reasoned discussion. And I think that's the first step towards changing their minds. Uh, and so I was happy to do it. I was happy to spend, you know, I don't want to just talk about who'd win in a fight, you know, Spider-Man or Dazzler the whole time. I, I'm happy <laughs> to talk about things that matter at a it's, show. Or... Man, it's really heartening to hear you say that, too, because so much of what the conversation, it doesn't matter, like, agreeing with certain policies or disagreeing or having this view or whatever. None of this stuff ultimately is what's important. What's important is the conversation about it. But my sort of takeaway, and I hope this is the outcome of all of this, is that there are just a lot of people who are really passionate about comics, whether you're talking about, you know, Nightwing or Captain America or, you know, the Fantastic Four or Four Kids Walking to a Bank. It's like there are people who feel so strongly a sense of ownership and a sense of, of um, I don't even know what to call it, just a sense of, of a deep affection for the characters that like, yeah, it, it gets heated and it gets people get upset and, and things are said that shouldn't be said. But it's also what makes comics beautiful. Like I've never been a person who's passionate about the Mets. Like I like the Mets. They're cool. They play, <laughs> they're a pretty bad team, but uh, they're fun to watch play. You know, I, 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 I really love, you know, the wire, but like, I don't feel a sense of ownership over the wire. I don't get mad at the people who make the wire when they make choices they make, but like, I do feel a sense of, of kinship to the X-Men. I do feel a sense of, of closeness to them. And that's why I make comics. And that's why people are fans of comics. And to dismiss that, that fandom as outright, I think is a, is a dangerous thing to do because I think it's part of what makes comics great. Uh, it can make comics nasty and, and unpleasant for sure. But, um, I hope the end result is, is, you know, people walk away still having that sense of ownership of Captain America or Nightwing or whoever it is. People still feel that attachment is my, my hope. Well, there's, you know, I think it's inherent in the medium, um, more so than a lot of, I think music might be the next closest thing where reading a comic is such an immersive experience that you're not just casually like, this is what's going on with Spider-Man this month. You're really invested and it's a, it's like quicksand. It's like the the visuals and the pacing and everything that draws yeah. you into comics and makes you love the craft and the form of it is also attaching you to the characters on the page in a way that maybe casually watching a, you know, a sitcom doesn't do. For sure. Um, for sure. Hour long dramas might, might yeah. border on that. I mean, you know, I'm sure soap opera fans historically have been way more outraged than comic fans when their characters have, uh, gone directions they haven't liked mm -hmm. um no i i mean i agree totally i grew up like all my favorite bands were playing in basements and legion halls and you know people's living rooms and you have a sense of closeness and ownership to that it's immersive it's it's so you're a part of it and when those bands sign to major labels and play arenas like 14 year old me was the first the first kid to be like I hate you guys now, like you sold out, whatever. <laughs> and so I, I get it. And I, I, you know, and obviously there's more to a lot of the debates that are going on now than like, I just don't like this or I don't have a sense of ownership of this anymore. But um, I think that's a part of it. And that's sort of, 
yeah, the 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 way people who are super passionate about the X-Men and get mad when the X-Men do something they don't like, like I don't necessarily <laughs> channel my anger in the same way, but like I'm passionate about the X-Men. I would be sad if people weren't that passionate about the X-Men. It's funny because like I think people don't realize that their sense of ownership is also someone else's sense of ownership yes, a lot of times. Exactly. Like and it's hard I mean, not to be dismissive of the companies, but Disney and Marvel are, are I mean, Marvel and, and DC are Disney and Warner Brothers. Like, you're, you're taking ownership of, of corporate characters. And, like, that, that's not just for you. It is definitely for you, but it's for a lot of people. And, uh, you know, I got, I got my ass kicked when I was 14 by a neo-Nazi skinhead with a Captain America tattoo. Like, that was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went home and looked at my Captain America poster on my wall and still felt inspired by Captain America and still loved him. But I remember that guy's arm with the Captain America shield hitting me in the face a lot. And it's like, I think he misinterprets the character. I think he's, you know, 100% in the wrong. But, like, he has an ownership of it that's, uh, you know, depressing. But But that's how these things work. Like, you put them out in the public and... You you have something that you want to say and a point you want to get across as the creator and I'm sure as the publisher and I'm sure as the, you know, everyone involved has something they want to get across. But when it goes out in the public, like it's the public's and yeah. and they're going to do with it as they please. And and it's, you know, for every you want to end up making more people happy than not. I mean, my feeling is always like, you know, I'll take aim on some stuff. I'll target some stuff. But. I want it to be the stuff I target if I'm accidentally hitting uh, the wrong people. Like, I feel bad, and, and, and it's sort of a learning experience on that, and you don't want to do that. And, and there should be a level of, like, that's where I think the dialogue comes in and is important, that it's like, oh, well, I didn't want to, you know, punch down at some marginalized group with, with We Can Never Go Home. That wasn't my intention. So, like, uh, you know, I do want to listen to people's complaints about it. I do want to see... Uh, where I where I made mistakes or where people felt like I made mistakes, whichever it may be, it's it's a uh, yeah. I mean, that sense of ownership I think is is both. Uh, I mean, it's a minefield. It's it's so important to comics and the identity of comics, and it's in the same way like you talked about with soap operas. Like we're passionate, you know, a funny thing to handle. You can't be dismissive of of that, and uh, it 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 uh. It's a danger. It's a dangerous time to to sort of act like you can be dismissive of, of people's feelings, but also at the same time, like our job is is to make the art that we believe in, and in theory, fans should determine whether or not uh, we're qualified for that with, through sales and through voicing their opinions. And I, I sort of agree with that. That like if I was doing really really unpopular things that. DC or Warner Brothers at Black Mask and they weren't getting a good reception like I should be doing stuff somewhere else then I'm probably not the right fit for those books but I don't know <laughs> I don't I don't know, <laughs> know where I was going with that I mean I mean in my ideal and and I know that people won't necessarily agree with this like my ideal Marvel and my ideal ideal DC comics and my ideal image comics and whoever is that they are sort of a, a smorgasbord of ideas that there are 
you know, right wing creators and left wing creators and moderates and, and, you know, uh, <laughs> radical feminists and, and, you know, whatever the opposite of that is, I don't even know, <laughs> but, you know, putting ideas out and, and letting the market decide what matters in a way, like there are problems with that theory, but like, I do like the idea that, you know, like there was a very, what I thought was a very conservative run on Punisher a few years ago. I disagreed with a ton of it. I found it interesting to read it. It was an interesting take. I, I, it's not how I see the character. I'm much more of an Ennis Punisher guy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think being exposed to ideas as long as they aren't hurting you is, is very important. I, I would, I agree 100%. I might even say sometimes ideas that are hurtful are important too, because that's a, a learning experience depending on the idea. I mean, shielding yeah. yourself from things. It's what you've talked about throughout, you know, even in this interview is reading something that you don't agree with. Um, it is a good way to help you bolster your own views on it. Yeah. Um, the internal yeah. conversation of why is this upsetting me? Why is this hurtful? Why do I disagree with it is, is how you define yourself. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think building cultures, I think what we have right now is a lot of cultures that exist in a sort of in that are very insular that exist in a bubble. And at the very least, like being exposed to other ideas and being exposed to other things so that, like you said, you can bolster your, your beliefs, you can stand behind them. And not everybody needs to be challenged on their beliefs all the time. I, I certainly think a lot of people <laughs> pretty much know what they believe in and they're right on. But, uh, you know, that's not, then maybe that book isn't for you. If, if that's the case, uh, you know, I, I, you, you'd certainly, there should be escapism and there should be, uh, feel good material. And I think, you know, that's the nice thing about, comics right now is that there is that 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 all that exists i mean like there's a lot of great escapism there's a lot of great you know feel good material there's a lot of things that are really empowering and there's a lot of stuff that is dark and and troubling and challenging and and that's good that's healthy in my estimation i agree i was gonna mention briefly a couple of months ago when you had said on social media that you weren't going to participate in any conventions that didn't have a charity aspect. I thought that was mm -hmm. super admirable and, and very cool. Um, did you want to speak on that a little bit or is it fairly self-evident? I mean, I can speak on that. Sure. sure. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, uh, you know, I said on my social media that I, I wasn't going to, like you said, go to any comic conventions that didn't have some sort of charity component to them that, uh, that, that wasn't in some way benefiting someone other than putting money in my and a show promoters pockets. Um, it was interesting because, uh, a bunch of sites ran that as a news story and it got tied up as being a very political thing, which I, I don't think it is. I don't see why charity is particularly a political, um, issue. I mean, I think I said charity or progressive cause and people maybe took umbrage with that, which is, you know, their prerogative to do so. But it was funny because a lot of people came at me and were very upset. And and I explained to them, I said, look, Comic Cons are done for profit. 
like nobody's doing them because you know maybe they don't all make money but they're trying to make money they bring me to a show because they think that I help them make money so someone is trying to make money off of me I'm going because either I'm trying to sell books or trying to promote books which in turn sells books I'm going to make money like let's not act like there's some sort of altruistic I love meeting readers I love trying to convert readers I love discussing things with readers but like at the end of the day I'm not going just to shake hands of people who are already buying my books particularly I'm going to try and build relationships and all that and uh, I get invited to 50 comic cons a year I can't do that <laughs> no one can do that so I have to pick and my uh, my way of picking was I want to go places where it somehow benefits the community to a larger degree rather than just lining up a few comic related people's pockets uh, the nice thing about comic cons is that doesn't rule out most comic cons. Most comic cons have a charity component. Um, or in the whether, case of Comic Con International, are themselves a charity. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, but like the Reed Pop shows, Emerald City, C2E2, New York, like they always do art auctions and they give a ton of money away and artists contribute. That's great. That's awesome. Uh, there's a lot of cons that do stuff with Make-A-Wish and bring people out. That's awesome. I'm happy to be a part of that. Um, I had I had a person challenge me and said, you know, would you not want to come if it was selling benefited veterans? And I said, no, of course I'd want to come. Like, benefiting veterans is awesome. Like, great. Happy to. And they said, would you not want to come if it was for a, a men's shelter? And I was like, like a homeless shelter? Like, no, sure, I, I'd come. I'm happy to. Like, <laughs> How odd is it that people are trying to, like, catch you in some sort of, like – weird trap with it that's such a bizarre yeah it was it, it was really staggering to me because i spent literally almost two days trying to talk to people who were coming at me i mean like people are calling me a fascist and i was like you're saying i'm a fascist because what i want to do with my free time is maybe try and benefit someone else tangentially <laughs> like and people are like you know you're making demands of a Comic-Con. I said, I'm not making any demands of a Comic-Con. I'm deciding how I pick what Comic-Con I go to. No Comic-Con. There's no Matt Rosenberg con that I'm shutting down. Uh, I'm not, you know, Grant Morrison refusing to go to Morrison con. I'm I, like, New York Comic-Con will exist whether I show up or not. There's no Comic-Con on Earth that won't exist if I'm like, I'm sitting this one out. So I'm not making any demands. I can't hold anyone hostage. I'm literally just setting a bar for how I spend my time. And it was really shocking to me because... You know, I probably spoke to maybe three, 350 people via like Facebook, Twitter or email in in the two days after that story broke who were very, very angry, ranging from very angry to moderately angry. That's, you know, a generalization or annoyed. And uh, most of them, when I talked to them, it uh, they got it and it was very clear and they they'd, you know, but but I mean, that is the tenor of, of social media and that's the tenor of our our country right now. And that's why. Uh, I do like going to cons is because I do want to be able to like if people take issue with something I said or did I do want to talk to them and I do want to have that conversation like I think that's really important uh, to me I understand people who don't but to me it is uh, but yeah it was it was staggering to just constantly have to be like take a breath right now what you're doing is cursing at someone who said they would like to be more involved in charity like w why does that bother you so it, weird it was weird. And a lot of people, you know, it was packaged and viewed as like a red state, blue state thing. And I was like, I'm not packaging in that way. Like you bought a package on a 
comics website that sold that bill of goods to you, but it's not in my language. It's not in whatever. And, you know, someone was like, said to me, they're like, why does it have to be a progressive cause or a charity? And I said, well, I'm a progressive. Anyone of any political belief should be able to say like, hey, I'm trying to, if I go somewhere, I'm trying to go somewhere. I'm trying to also raise money for charity. Uh, you know, a lot of people, I mean, it is the state of the nature of the, the internet that like, you know, a lot of people get upset on things. They're, things are filtered in a weird way, staring at a Twitter screen like you're inundated with people's beliefs and in the most short, abrupt way possible. And people are on edge. I mean, it's obviously a very politically tense time and, and people are looking for fights. And I think, you know, if you have a conversation and, and say like, hey, I'm not trying to pick a fight with you. I just, you know, think people should give more to charity. Like, it is hard to take umbrage with that. But people want it to be a screaming match. They find a sense of accomplishment and vindication in that. And I think that's true for, you know, either side of the aisle at this point. People it want. It absolutely is. You know, people want that fight. They want that engagement. And, like, I have no interest in that fight on either side. Like, I, 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 I'm lucky enough that I don't ever feel, you know, the level of harassment because of who I am on the Internet is infinitesimal compared to what it could be. Um, uh, so, I, you know, I'm never, I never feel unsafe on the Internet. So, like, because of the Internet. So I'm, I'm happy to have that conversation. And hopefully my being willing to have that conversation makes it easier for people who do feel unsafe or people who do feel who people who are harassed to the point of, you know, it being unbearable. Uh, hopefully that lessens it. Like I'm, I'm happy to run out and, and take the, the leftist liberal blows that I can in order to, you know, make it safer for, for someone who isn't, you know, who gets it far worse than I do. If I can lighten their load a little bit, I'm, I'm more than happy to. It's, it's astonishing how quick. And I think, I mean, this is just me personally with Twitter. People are in such a hurry to win and yeah. get that like self-righteous jolt of, I just took you down and it's both sides and it's ferocious. My feeling is like, yeah, there's, there's uh, Twitter and all this stuff could be a great, great avenue <laughs> for discourse and it's just you know the onus is on everybody to make sure that that is what we're having and not you know just throwing rocks from the internet it's, because it is it's the law it, of unintended consequences where this thing that should have been a great communication tool has just become a way for people to like attack each other yeah i mean i think i think it's funny uh you know i've gotten it a little bit from from i mean i get it more from people who identify on the right and and whatever because of my politics but i've gotten you know into into disagreements with people on both sides and i try and be civil and i try and be respectful and um that's pretty important to me but it never spills over into person and it personally it never it, like it never spills over into real life and i know for some people it does but like it's an amazing indicator of how you know i had a guy tell me that he you know like that i was you know a commie, you know, nightmare and blah, blah, blah. And, and, you know, when I came to Seattle, he was going to do whatever. And I was like, cool, man, like, I'll get you into the show. We can talk about it. Like, do you want, like, y you actually think you're going to come and fight me at Emerald City Comic Con? It's like, that's cool. Whatever. I'm not really concerned. And like, I told you, I was like, come to the show, man. 
you know, you can try and fight me if you want, but I think in reality, like you'll show up and we'll have a reasoned discussion and you won't leave thinking anything different and I won't leave thinking anything different. And like, they don't even show up. And it's, it's, it, it is interesting, like how much bravado is on the internet and like, you know, maybe that's people's raw, raw passion on display and there's something to be said for that. But I also think like it's some of that and some of just like people get caught up in, in the bluster of it and, and it's interesting the way people position themselves um, on the internet. And, you know, I guess it's important for people to get their passion across, but it is uh, not, not helping a lot of times. I don't think, you know, the most, the most angry person and the most calm reason person, it's hard to say who, who wins at the end of the day. Well, I need to, I need to wrap it. Okay. Um, is there anything that you want to uh, talk about that's coming up that you're particularly proud of? Yeah, I think if if people want to check out my work, uh, We Can Never Go Home, the first volume of We Can Never Go Home uh, is in paperback now. It's nine ninety nine from Black Mask. And, uh, you know, it's about two high school kids with unusual abilities who get into some trouble and decide to go on the run and lead a life of crime and sort of a really dark coming of age story. And I'm pretty proud of it. And uh, we're wrapping up Four Kids Walking to a Bank. Uh, it's a very dark comedy about children robbing a bank. And if people want to check that out, I would encourage them to do so because that helps me feed myself. And um, <laughs> we're also, I'm working on Secret Warriors at Marvel, which is Miss um, Marvel and Quake and Karnak and Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur and Inferno. Uh, running around kicking Hydra in the teeth and um, I'm pretty proud of that Javier Garon draws it and he is a true true art beast he's killing it on that book and um, I'm still writing Kingpin at Marvel which uh, with Ben Torres on art and it is uh, sort of a different kind of Marvel book and and I hope people it's more of a crime noir more of a uh, a dark uh crime story it's not light on the punching and the capes heavy on the conspiracy and the uh self-loathing so uh yeah if people want to check that stuff out uh i'd always appreciate it and uh that's about it awesome thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us matt oh no thank you I heard a birdie sing. So thanks again to matthew for taking the time to talk to us this podcast is donor-supported. It's also made possible in part with a grant from the Gaiman Foundation. My name is Alex Cox. I am the editor and the producer and the sometimes host of this podcast. If you want to learn more about the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund's mission, you can check out cbldf.org or any of our social media, all of which is under the name CBLDF. Thank you, the listener, for paying attention to this, streaming and or downloading if you enjoyed it, please recommend it to your friends and uh, rate it on iTunes if you get the chance. You can drop us a line at info at cbldf.org. We always appreciate to hear from our donors and supporters. And with all that said, we will talk to you next month. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.